0: let's celebrate today. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. We welcome you to Edge Church this morning. I have a question for you today. Have you ever wanted to push the reset button on your life? <laughs> have you ever wished that you would have never met somebody? Have you ever wished... <laughs> That you never took that job? Or that you ever made that choice? Or that you ever went down that road? Have have you ever wanted to just really start over? Start over. Press that reset button in your life. Well, all of us probably have at some point in our own existence. Some people change jobs. Some people move cities and states. Some people change careers or leave marriages, uh, all because they want a fresh start. And the passage we're looking at today is God's wisdom for us. It related to beginning again. I hope you'll take out your notes and you'll follow along with where we're going today. We're in a series of messages called The Next Level. And we're looking at how God wants to take our life to the next level in and through the book of, say it with me, Leviticus. Amen. Leviticus. Let's look at Leviticus 25.10. I can hardly say it today. Leviticus 25.10. You are to consecrate the 50th year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee. And when each of you is to return to his property and each of you is to return to his clan. God gave the Israelites a specific instruction. He said every 50th year, there is to be a huge celebration. There's to be a huge partay. It is called the year of Jubilee. And it's so spectacular that it only happens every 50 years. Leviticus 25 outlines the year of Jubilee. Here's the things that it included. All property sold reverted back to the original owners and the family designated by God at the time of the exodus. And I know all of the real estate people were like, yeah, but they bought the property. (laughs) But in ancient Israel, land was given by God to the Israelites and it was really more like a long-term lease. So when you purchased real estate, you would figure out how many years it was to the year of Jubilee, and it was like a long-term lease. So if it was 10 years to Jubilee, 10-year lease. 15-year lease if it was, if it was 15 years. Uh, but all land went back to the original owners. This was a great system that God came up with. It encouraged entrepreneurship because people could long-term lease land and start businesses and do great things. But also, it kept the poor from being exploited because the land would go back to those families. And so, it was a great system. God came up with this. Also, all debts were forgiven and considered paid in full. Uh, when you took out a loan, it was, it was when they did the little formulas, it was all based on the year of Jubilee. Um, <clears throat> all slaves were freed or purchased back. Families were reunited. The land would rest on the year of Jubilee. People didn't work. Can you just imagine what it would be like if you took a year off? How rested you would be. I mean, you'd be loving your life. It's awesome. The year of Jubilee. Um, <clears throat> it was also a time of feasting and celebration and a time to focus on God. And you may think, well, what in the world does that have to do with the 21st century? Um, when you keep reading in the Bible, Jesus is our Jubilee. Jubilee. Jesus is our Jubilee. Now go with me for a moment. In Leviticus 25, 15, he says, You are to make the purchase from your neighbor based on the number of years since the last Jubilee. He's to sell you based on the number of remaining harvest years. Okay, And I just mentioned that with the sale of land. And the whole 25th chapter of Leviticus is about the year of Jubilee. But Isaiah the prophet, in chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, quotes... And he paraphrases a description of the coming of the Messiah based on the Jubilee. Look with me, if you would, in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Jubilee, and the day of God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. Now, these verses are hyperlinked together. I got Leviticus 25 working. I got Isaiah 61, the prophet, many years later, reverting back. He's putting in context the coming of the Messiah. Jesus hasn't come yet. It's Isaiah's time. He's the prophet. But he's foretelling the coming of Jesus from... The day of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee, Leviticus 25. And this is what Jesus says in one of his first messages in the synagogue. Look at Luke chapter 4. What does he quote? He quotes Isaiah 61, the Jubilee. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up. And the scroll of the prophets of Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He has then rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, today you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So Jesus opens his public ministry by framing what God has led him to do in the context of the prophecy of Isaiah and the Jubilee of Leviticus 25. Okay, And when you look at all these together, we see that Jesus is our Jubilee. Now I want to give you four reasons, at least four reasons, why Jesus is our Jubilee Number one is simply that Jesus is our jubilee because uh, we have freedom in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. And you notice the way that Jesus describes the coming of his ministry. Um, Quoting Isaiah, he says that the captives have been set free. Uh, And he says the prisoners have been set free. Now what is a captive? A captive is somebody who has been taken prisoner... Uh, but they haven't done anything wrong, right? Like if one nation invades another nation and they take people captive, well, you were just, you know, unfortunate. You were just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're a captive. A prisoner is somebody who's in prison by something that they have done. So something wrong that's taken place, so they've been in prison. Now, spiritually speaking, Jesus says, I came to set the captives and the prisoners free. In other words, we don't have to live under the weight of sin and shame any longer. There's freedom in Christ. There's freedom in Christ. We don't have to feel the weight, the bondage of guilt and destruction as we often feel. Uh, God has given us Jesus, and He's come to set us free. and. If you look in Galatians 5.1, he says, For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, if Christ has set you free, don't go back to being a slave. How many times in the Christian life do we go back to the old way of living? We, we begin to think the old way. We we go back to what's comfortable when we get stressed, when we get overwhelmed. We go back to old patterns, don't we? And he says, listen, if Christ has set you free, don't go back to being a slave. Don't live under the weight, the pressure, the, the, the demise of, of, of sin. Don't do it. Freedom. We, we, we've been set free. We've been set free. And then later in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, he says... That we ought to use this freedom as an opportunity to serve others. And the reason that we love and serve others is because God has set us free. We are free to love and to serve. Now, if you've been a captive, maybe somebody has wronged you in some way and you're a captive. Listen, Christ wants to set you free from bitterness, from hostility. If you've been wronged, maybe you didn't even do anything wrong, but somebody did something to you. Christ wants to set you free From the weight of unforgiveness and anger and hostility and bitterness. Some of us have made some really, really bad choices. And you're a prisoner maybe to those choices. Christ has come to liberate. To set us free. To give us the Jubilee. Jesus is our Jubilee because he's the great liberator. And uh, God has given us a great opportunity, hasn't he? Um, if you look a little further, the Jubilee also relates to mercy. And look with me, if you would, in, back in Leviticus 25, 35 to 38. This is the description of the way the people were supposed to act at the time of Jubilee. If your brother becomes destitute and cannot sustain himself among you, you are to support him as an alien or temporary resident so that he can continue to live among you. Do not profit or take interest from him. But fear your God and let your brother live among you. And you are not to lend him your silver with interest or sell him with your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So what is the scripture saying? At the time of Jubilee, he says, listen, don't take advantage of people who are struggling. When people are down, show what? Show mercy to people. Be merciful. Right? Don't charge them interest. Don't say, yeah, I'll give you a loan. I'm going to give it to you at 25% interest, you know. (laughs) Don't, don't, Don't do that. He says, be gracious. Amen? The gospel message is a message of mercy. Christ came to give us mercy. Look at Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God... Who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Now, I love that word dead in your trespasses. I mean, what do you think about when you think about something that is dead? Notice he doesn't say you were sick, you were struggling. You were handicapped. You were disabled. If you're disabled or handicapped, you can still do something, right? He says you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, you couldn't do anything to please God. You couldn't do anything by yourself to get in right standing with God. But God, and that's one of the biggest buts in the Bible right there. But God, who is rich in mercy bestowed his grace on us. Wow. Wow. <laughs> we were dead, man, but we were, we were resurrected. We were comatose. We had nothing to offer. And yet Christ came and he put us in right standing with God. And I love that word, were, because it's past tense. He says, and you were dead in your transgressions. In other words, that's who you used to be. But if you are in Christ, who you were is old news. That's the old stuff. All things have become new because God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. And God is telling the Israelites, look guys, I was merciful to you. I gave you the land. If it wasn't for me, you guys wouldn't even have any land in the first place. I've been merciful to you. See, the capacity to be merciful to others is rooted in the gospel message. God was first merciful to me. And because God has been merciful to me, I can be merciful to others. If you've never received mercy, it's hard to give away something you've never received. But it all begins with God. And the Jubilee was a year to focus on the mercy of God. And the grace and the greatness of God. And Jesus echoes this in the Gospels. Uh, you can't celebrate being alive if you don't understand that you were first dead. You can't celebrate being found if you don't understand you were first lost. You can't celebrate grace if you don't understand the bondage of sin and guilt. And you can't celebrate walking in the Spirit if you don't understand the nastiness of sin. Jesus is our Jubilee because he offers us freedom, he offers us mercy, and he offers us rest. He offers us rest. Now, the Jubilee was a year of rest. Look at this in verse 11 of Leviticus 25. The 50th year will be your Jubilee. You are not to sow, reap what grows by itself, or harvest its unintended vines it is to be holy to you because it is the jubilee and you may only eat its produce directly from the field the people didn't work the people didn't work and he says don't even plant a crop now if some seed sprouts up and you're hanging out in the field one day and you want a little snack then good for you but you're not to harvest it, you're not to sell it, you're not to, you're not to plant it. <clears throat> it's the year of Jubilee. It's the year of rest. What would your life be like if you rested a little bit more? The other day I forgot to plug in my cell phone before I went to bed. And I woke up and I had like 2% battery. Has anybody ever done that before? I was in total panic. I was in disarray. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do if I don't have my phone? You know, that's a terrible feeling, isn't it? I have like a phobia about that. Like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? It's bad. So I was going around. I was at Starbucks. I was trying to mooch a cord off somebody, you know, all these strangers. I was like, man, listen, it's been a bad morning. Do you have a cord, you know? And... I was concerned because, you know, the little bars were diminishing. And what was I going to do? And, you know, I was kind of in the red, if you want to s- say it that way. And I didn't I didn't have a lot of power. Well, you know what? A lot of people's life is kind of like the depleted cell phone battery. A lot of people are living with 2% battery. And, and it may not be that your kids are so bad, but it's just that, You feel so pushed and so strained that they're driving you crazy. It may not be that your co-workers are as evil as maybe you think they are. Maybe you just haven't been recharged in a while. Here's a great spiritual truth. We have rest in Jesus Christ. We have rest in him. In fact, the book of Hebrews describes... The work of Jesus in terms of rest. Look at Hebrews 4, 1 and 3. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now... We who have believed enter that rest. When you have salvation in Christ, you enter in rest. And here's what that means. You don't have to perform and prove yourself to God. And you don't have to perform and prove yourself to others. Because you have entered into His rest. Salvation is rest. I'm not trying to earn God's approval. I'm not trying to earn God's favor. God has already given that to me. And I am resting in him. But you know, there's also another side of rest. And that is that physically, we just need to be resuscitated sometimes, don't we? I mean, it's crazy, man. If you read the Ten Commandments, I was thinking about this this week. Thou shalt not murder. I'm like, I get why that's in the Ten Commandments. That makes sense to me. I get that. Thou shalt not steal. That sounds like a good one. Okay? Good idea, Lord. Thank you, God. You shall have no other gods before me. I get that. Don't commit adultery. Makes sense to me. Okay. One of the Ten Commandments is take a day off. (laughs) It's keep the Sabbath day holy. There's a day of rest and a day of worship. Now, of all the things that God could have put in the Ten Commandments, he said rest was one of them. That's one of God's top 10 lists. You know, that means that you have to be recharged. And the way we get recharged is coming to corporate worship, like we're doing today. And also not thinking about our jobs and our work and all of our other stuff. Some of you are thinking about everything you got to do at work on Monday, you know? And sometimes you got to just shut that thing down, you got to rest, you got to get with God. Now, the Israelites had a whole year. Can you just imagine? Oh, my goodness, 365 days, you know? Some of you just thought, my kids would drive me crazy if I was at home for a year. I mean, But would you agree that if every 50th year you took a year off that you would be rested? Probably so. You know, probably so. It would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? You know, in the Israelites, when a man and a woman were married... You were relieved from military service for one year so that the marriage relationship could bond. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? The Israelites understood something. That you have to spend time together to build a a marriage and to build a family. And it's good for a husband and wife to get off to a good start. So you got a year off. It's pretty amazing. I'm just throwing that in there today. We need rest. We need rest. We need time. We need, to, we need to get revitalized. We need, we need vacations. You know, we need time away. We need time with God. All those things are so important for our spiritual and our physical life. You know, God did not create your body to go 24-7. There has to be times where we stop and where we start. We stop and we start. I take Mondays off. I don't do anything. If you ever call me on a Monday, I'm sorry, man. I am like not available, you know, because, you know, I'm here all day on Sunday, which is awesome, but Monday, you cannot find me, you know. That's a good thing because I got to get away sometimes, and you do too, and all of us, that's part of it. Now, I never thought that I would quote Kanye West at church, but he has a great new song out. His album is Jesus is King. Kanye met the Lord. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Awesome. And his song's called Closed on Sunday. It's a great song. Guess what the song is about? This is like hip-hop music. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Closed on Sunday. Check it out. Closed on Sunday. I'm not going to wrap it for you because I can't do it that good. You're my Chick-fil-A. Hold the selfies. Put the gram away. Get your family. Y'all hold hands and pray. When you got daughters, always keep them safe. Watch out for vipers. Don't let them indoctrinate. Closed on Sunday. You're my Chick-fil-A. You're my number one with the lemonade. Amen. (laughs) Raise your sons. Train them in the faith. Through temptation. Make sure they're wide awake. Follow Jesus and obey. No more living for the culture. We're nobody's slave. Closed on Sunday. I think a great mantra for our lives would be closed on Sunday. Time to focus on our family, time to focus on worship, time to focus on the things of God. The things that He has for us. And He put Chick-fil-A in there too, and that's cool. That's cool. That's real cool. Now Jesus echoed this in Matthew 11. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder what your life would be like if you could begin to transfer the weight of all of the pressure and the things that you feel to the Lord from you all of the burdens all the responsibilities all the obligations all the expectations what if you could just take that and just take that like a big backpack and just take it off and just give it to the Lord Jesus says you know what when you know when you know that I'm with you my burden is easy my yoke is light How great would it be just to let the Lord just take those things, those burdens? Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, all right, Pastor, I'm not taking a year off, though. (laughs) One of the things we talked about in the earlier part of this series is that God gave specific commands at specific times to specific people. And the Levitical code, most of it, much of it, was information that was given specifically to the Israelites at that particular time, okay? We don't sacrifice animals anymore. We don't do everything in the book of Leviticus. We follow the spiritual laws of Leviticus, but not every single command that was given, like the year of Jubilee, okay? Some of you wanted to go into your work tomorrow and go, I'm on Jubilee, baby, I'll see you later, you know? (laughs) Thank you, thank you, I'll see you guys in 365 days, you know? I'm on Jubilee. Yeah, I love this church, you know. Come on. (coughs) Awesome. The principle is rest. The principle is time with God. The principle is plug your battery in. That's the principle. God wants us to learn to rest. But listen, to rest, you have to have faith. You have to trust that God is going to take care of your needs. You can't rest if you think that everything is on you. If you believe that all of your provision is up to your hard work and your discipline and your intuition and your experience and your expertise, if you believe that you're going to make it happen, you will never enter into this rest because rest takes faith. It takes faith to say, you know what, I can take some time away from work to spend some time with my family and go to church and do the things of God and not starve to death. That takes faith. That takes time with God, doesn't it? So rest and faith go together. If you're going to rest, you have to believe that God is going to take care of your needs. And an important facet of the Jubilee is the rest. It's a rhythm. It's a rhythm of rest. Here's the final thing that the Jubilee says to us that I want us to look at this morning. I have provision in Christ. Now, I've got freedom in Christ. I've got mercy in Christ. I've got rest in Christ, but I have provision in Christ. What God provided on the sixth year was to cover the seventh year. Now, every seventh year, they would let the land lie fallow. And my grandparents were farmers, my granddads were, and they would let the fields sometimes take a year off or they would rotate the crops through to not zap all the nutrients out of one field. That's from God. God God said that thousands of years ago. Look at this in Leviticus 25.20. If you wonder what we will eat in the seventh year if we don't sow or gather our produce, I will appoint my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years when you sow in the eighth year you will be eating from the previous harvest and you will be eating this until the ninth year when its harvest comes in and so the fields would lie fallow for a year now this same principle is seen in the Jubilee because every seventh year they had to let the fields lie fallow what that meant is that They had to trust that God was going to provide for them. And God said, you know what? I'm going to give you so much produce in the sixth year that I'm going to cover you in the seventh year. Is that amazing? I got you covered. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of the needs that you have. Now, the Jubilee was at the end of seven times seven I believe that's 49 seven years of seven plus one so in the year of Jubilee they would take off the 49th year because that was the seventh of the seven and then they would take off the 50th year because that was the Jubilee and that's what's being talked about if you read the whole chapter he says in the year of Jubilee I'm gonna give you such a huge a huge harvest that you're gonna actually be able to miss two years of work and you're still gonna be okay Now that's amazing. That's incredible. This is echoed in the New Testament when we see that Jesus teaches something very similar in Matthew chapter 6. He says, "Don't, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more important than food? And the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't, sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more worthy than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, thread, yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But check this out. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Wow. God said, you know what? You can... You can worry about tomorrow and then you can worry about next week and then you can worry about next month and next year and five years and ten years and twenty-five. You can be overwhelmed. Just worry about today. Just do the things that God's called you to do today and then tomorrow, you'll get to tomorrow tomorrow. Amen? He said, if you will seek first the kingdom of God If you will put God's priorities, God's things first, then all these things will be added to you. What are you worried about? This is what Jesus is, he's echoing the teachings of Moses there in Leviticus 25. And I I believe this is so powerful because because, uh, God actually says in Leviticus 25, Verse 23, that all the land belongs to God. So he tells the people, he's like, guys, look, all the land belongs to me. I'm letting you guys borrow it. It's not yours anyway, by the way. You know what? If, if you begin to see all of your possessions as ultimately belonging to God, you have a totally different perspective on stuff. Amen? And this is the foundation of giving and tithing is understanding that all everything you've got was from God anyway. God just loaned it to you. And God said, all the land is mine. I'm going to let you guys use it. Do whatever you want to on that land, but it all belongs to me. Giving and tithing is founded in that same concept. All that we have is not ours. It ultimately belongs to Him. It's all God's. And we're just Stewards that are using the resources that God has given us for kingdom impact. Well, speaking of that, we've been in the season of giving with our I Love My Church offering, and we had a goal of about twelve dollars to $15,000 for our special offering to help us do some repairs around the building, and I want to give you guys a good report. Would you guys like to hear the results? Yes. So we uh, gave as a church $17,164. So. Isn't that great? Wonderful. Yeah. I think about 40 different families participated with this. It was awesome. Fantastic. And you know what? When a church understands that all their stuff belongs to God, then giving is just a natural response. Way to go, church. Way to go. A huge lift, a huge blessing for the church to go over and above what we expected. Amen? It all belongs with God. Now, I want to point out a couple of things here in Matthew 25, very briefly. And this could be a 10-week sermon series, okay, from Matthew 6, 25. But I'm going to give you a couple of concepts to think about if you want to write these down. Based on Jesus' teachings here, number one, there's more to life than food and clothes, verse 25. There's more to life than food and clothes, There's more to life than your stuff, your flat screen TVs and your computers and your your smartphones and whatever else. Um, Number two, uh, verse 27 says, worry does not make anything better. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. You being upset and stressed out, is that going to make any of your financial situation turn directions for you? Is that going to make anything better? All that does is make you feel worse. So why worry? Here's the third thing. Birds and wildflowers don't worry. They live one day at a time. That's verse 28. So should we. Birds and wildflowers live one day at a time. I'm not saying that we don't need to do some planning, but, I mean, birds don't wake up in the morning and go, man, what do I have in my retirement account, you know? There's a simplicity there, okay? Let's be responsible, but let's not, like, overwhelm ourselves, okay? Um, Here's something in verse 31. You don't have much faith if you worry all the time. You're like, oh, man, I'm a man of faith, I'm so stressed out. You know? Worry and faith are at odds with one another in your life. When you worry all the time, you're like an unbeliever, verse 32. Let me ask you a question. Do you stress as much as your next door neighbor that's not a Christian? Is there something different about you? Is your trust in God just something that you know, you think about like on Easter and Christmas, but it doesn't really impact the way you live like the other days of the year or, or, or you know, how, how does the scripture and God's word, how does that impact you? Are you just like everybody else? Verse 33, seek God and he'll meet your needs. We are so focused on worry and stress and achievement. And God says, what I'm looking for is people who will focus on the Lord. Kingdom first. God's stuff first. Seek first the kingdom. And then all these things will be added to you. Verse 34, don't get caught up worrying about tomorrow and the next day. It's a dead end trap. Now here's the crazy thing. (coughs) As far as we know, the Israelites never practiced the Jubilee. Maybe they did somewhere, but they certainly did not do much of it. And God gave all of this great teaching and this great command. You're going to rest. I'm going to provide for you. I mean, if somebody said... I'm going to pay you and you're going to do great. Go take a year off. You'd be like, I'm going to Tahiti, baby. God made all the. He gave all this instruction. And the people were like, eh. You know, how many times do we hear the word of God and say, that is so cool. That is awesome to think about. I'm leaving church and now I'm back to do my own thing. How many times do we hear the word and kind of admire the word and think that's cool for the word to say that but it doesn't really change the way that we operate or the way that we think and God gave them so much opportunity and it was squandered. I wonder how much opportunity God is giving you today through his word and he's saying will you take the challenge will you see Jesus as your jubilee will you believe that you have the freedom the mercy the rest and the provision that God wants you to have or do you see everything that's in the word as just a big suggestion Something that's intellectually stimulating to think about, but has no ramifications in your own life. Let's be people that celebrate the jubilee every day because Jesus is our jubilee. Jesus is our jubilee. Come on, let's put our hands together, church. Let's celebrate it. Amen. Amen, would you pray with me for just a moment? Let's just bow our.